Thanks, Scott. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal. I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome to you guys tuning in online. Thank you for uh, just joining our service today, staying engaged. Wow, it has been an amazing day. So many exciting things going on. Um, yeah, we... Um, we start life groups this week. I'm excited. I have a men's group on Wednesday morning. I'm excited about that. Um, we've had an amazing two services. Uh, we kick off uh, Romans, or excuse me, we're kind of jump back into Romans today, and I'm excited about that. Do you know, in the, in the first service, like so the early service, the 830 service, we had 13 babies in nursery today. And, um, and then in the second service, in the first through third grade classroom, the purple room, they had 50 students in that room, 50. In fact, so many, they actually had to move down uh, to the chapel. And uh, so it's just, uh, it's just been a wild and, and great day, a great weekend. Um, and I am excited as we jump back into Romans. So uh, we've been preaching through the book of Romans this year as a church. And uh, kind of on again and off again, uh, making our way through Romans. We've been through the first 11 chapters already. And now this fall, we're going to dive into chapters 12 uh, through 16. And um, it's just been uh, a great series, and I pray that you've been blessed by it. Uh, in the uh, days ahead, uh, throughout this series, you're going to be receiving uh, a devotional, an email, uh, and each week those devotionals will coincide with the passage that we've been preaching on uh, on Sunday morning. Now, before we look at our passage today, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we actually need to back up a little bit, give you a little bit of context, and read uh, the verses, uh, the last few verses in the book of uh, chapter 11. Because Romans 12 starts with this, this really strong challenge and appeal by the Apostle Paul for all of us, okay, not just the early church, but you and me, to present our, our lives, our whole uh, selves um, as living sacrifices to God, okay? But all of the reasons for doing so, you know, the motivation for actually doing that is actually found in chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. So follow along as I read. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has give, ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen? Amen. In other words, because God is like this, okay, rich and wise and great and glorious, a God of, of infinite love and mercy. Now, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in light of all of this, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, by the way, um, 
This is actually the fourth, I would say, significant uh, therefore that we've encountered in our study of Romans. And remember when we first uh, came across a therefore, you know, I made the old joke that anytime you come across a therefore in the Bible, you got to figure out what it's there for, you know, the reason behind it. So the first therefore that we encounter was back in Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. In other words, you know, you, you can't be made right in God's sight by keeping the law, he says. Rather, it's through the law that you become conscious of your sin. So that was Paul's conclusion after the very, after the first three chapters, that the whole world uh, is under condemnation because of our sin. Remember, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. So that's the first therefore, the therefore of condemnation. By the way, these, these four therefores really do help kind of give you a cool outline of the whole book of Romans, okay? So the first one is the therefore of condemnation. The second one occurred in Romans 5.1. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we can't be made right through the law, only through faith in Christ. So this is the therefore of justification. Remember uh, Pastor Scott's illustration, I think he preached uh, on this passage, and um, he said to be justified in God's sight is that God treats you, looks at you, just as if I, justified, have never sinned. We've been made right in the sight of God through our faith. Now, the third significant, therefore, is Romans 8.1. Remember, we saved the eighth chapter of Romans uh, for our Easter series with this wonderful, wonderful verse, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this was the, the therefore of liberation. We've been set free. We've been liberated, rescued from all condemnation. And now... Here in chapter 12, we come across the fourth significant therefore. It's the therefore of dedication. Dedication. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So that's really what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12 and really the rest of the letter. That basically, hey, now you need to start living what you know you got to put it into practice. So after all these 11 chapters of deep, profound theology about God and, you know, justification and everything that he's done for us in Jesus, Paul's basically saying, hey, in view of all that he's done for you, remember, he has rescued you. He has, you know, cleaned you up. He's adopted you into his forever family. He has restored you. Now live like it. Now it's time to start using that knowledge and put it into practice. He's basically, uh, you know, kind of challenging all of us today, saying, hey, start living like you are justified, right? Start living like you are forgiven. Live like you know you're going to, to heaven. And so this is a really strong call for total commitment. And I would say that the key phrase in this passage really is this, this two-word phrase here, living sacrifice. So underline that, circle it, highlight it. The context, the reference definitely is like Old Testament, 
Okay, And a first century Jewish Christian would have just seen this and known this. It's the language of the Levitical priesthood presenting an animal on the altar of sacrifice at the temple. And so they all know that when a Jew wanted to worship God, he would come to the temple with an animal to be sacrificed. And when he offered that animal, it was as though his sin was being rolled back. But it was more than that. It was also a symbol of giving your whole life, your heart. To God. Now, of course, the New Testament teaches that that whole Old Testament sacrificial system has been set aside once and for all by the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. In other words, we no longer have to sacrifice animals as a payment for our sin. That, pr- that price has been paid. But, and Paul reminds us of this, and we need to hear this today, God still asked for sacrifice. In fact, listen to 1 Peter 2.5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now that's interesting for them to hear because again, they would have thought about Old Testament priests from you know, the tribe of Levi. and They're the only ones you know, who could offer sacrifice, go into the Holy of Holies. But now he basically says, hey listen, you're a holy priesthood. We are a holy priesthood. He says, offering what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So again, we're not Old Testament Levites But we are spiritual priests called by God to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, according to Paul here in Romans 12, that primary sacrifice, listen to this, that we are all called to make is yourself. It's you, it's me. So this is a call for wholehearted commitment. And Paul is saying this really should be, you know, the natural response for everything that God has done. It's the sum of all 11 chapters of, you know, profound biblical truth. So after saying everything that can be said about all that God has done for you in Jesus, what's the conclusion? He says it's to give to him all that you are. To offer your very life as a living sacrifice. Now, what does that involve? What does that mean for us today in 2023? Well, I think, according to this passage, there's three things that I think it involves that I want you to see today. Number one, it involves the presentation of your body. The presentation of your body. Again, verse one, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Again, not I demand... Not I command it, but I plead with you. I challenge you. It's really interesting. The word that he uses there in Greek, it actually means to come alongside someone. And it, it has with it this idea of tenderness and affection. In other words, sure, it carries with it the authority of an apostle, you know, the apostle Paul, and yet he also speaks with the tenderness and love of a brother. In fact, it's kind of what, what Paul said to Philemon in uh, verses eight and nine. Listen to this. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. 
In other words, I, I could, as an apostle, just command this. But I don't want to do that. As your brother in Christ, I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. That's what he's saying here. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we we are to offer our lives as living sacrifices because of the compassion and love and mercy of God. In other words, God, in his great love for you, is willing to take you and me as sinners and work in our life and adopt us into his forever family as sons and daughters and then put into our lives a plan in which we will never be lost. So the idea is, hey, who's ever loved you like that? I mean, seriously. You see, we're supposed to be the responders. We love him because he what? He first loved us. And Paul's building on that, saying, hey, nobody in your life has ever loved you like this. No one has ever done for you what God has done for you. No one has ever taken you just the way you are. With all of your faults and weaknesses and wounds and problems. And then committed themselves to you. Promised to stick with you no matter what. To never leave you. To never give up on you. To keep loving you. Keep embracing you. And listen to this. He says... God has forgiven you all of your past. He is currently working in your life right now through the power of the Holy Spirit in your present. And he has promised a glorious forever home in your future. Heaven. Who's done that? Paul says, in light of all of that, I urge you, present your body as a living sacrifice. You know, it's, it's what we say around here a good bit. Listen, I don't want to stand up here and uh, guilt you into serving. We, we don't want to guilt you into giving and sacrificing. You know what we try to do here? We want to grace you into it. I mean, I, I, just, I want you to be so overwhelmed with God's love <coughs> and what he has done in your life that your only natural response would be, hey, I, I want to serve. I get to serve. I get to give. Notice he doesn't say, by the way, <coughs> give your heart to God. Now, you know, we use that term a lot today, right? And, I, and, I, and I'm okay with that. But it's interesting. He doesn't say that here. He says, give your body. Why? Well, Because your body is now the home of the Holy Spirit, which means basically your body, my body, all of our bodies, physical bodies, are home base, the base of operations for God to accomplish his will in your life, the kingdom, his kingdom initiative here on earth through you and me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, do you not know that your what? Your what? Bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your what? Your body. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? 
I think it's what Jesus was driving at in Mark chapter 8 when he said this. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Okay, remember, this is Jesus talking. If you want to be my follower, my disciple, he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And then he he closes with this question, this introspective question to ask yourself. What good is it if you gain everything this world has to offer? If you gain the whole world, but you end up forfeiting your soul. It's also what Paul was driving at in Galatians 2.20. I love this. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. It is, it's you and I, you know, kind of living our life, walking around with this understanding that I've been crucified with Christ, me. And it's not me living any longer. I've been bought with a a price and now Christ, Jesus, he lives in me and through me. And now I, I honor God with all that I am and all that I have. That's what it means. And let me tell you something. You need to hear this. We need to hear this today. That's what you signed up for when you committed your life to Christ. That. Not this easy believism, consumerism kind of faith. What's in it for me? No, you've been crucified with Christ. It's an all or nothing commitment. That's what you signed up for. You see, sometimes I fear in 2023, as as a pastor, I, I think that maybe we've lost sight of this. You know, we we become so comfortable, and it's all about comfort and convenience, and, and we become so self-centered. That, okay, sure, maybe I am willing to serve if, you know, we we put little, you know, conditions on it. If it doesn't cost me too much. Yeah, I'd be willing to give something if it's not too much or, again, it doesn't require anything of me. I'd be willing to, you know... Serve and give if it doesn't require energy or for me to, you know, give up my time or, you know, interrupt my schedule. That's the world that we live in today. You see, the trouble with being a living sacrifice is that many times we keep crawling off the altar. Somebody once wrote, I counted dollars, God counted crosses. I counted gains, he counted losses. I counted my worth by the things that I gained and stored. He sized me up by the scars that I bore. I coveted honors, sought after degrees. He wept as he counted the hours I spend on my knees. I never knew until at my grave how vain are the things I spent my life to save. Paul says, That this sacrificial life 
is our spiritual act of worship. Let's break that down just a bit. The word there translated spiritual is not the way that we typically use it, you know, kind of, ooh, spiritual, mystical kind of thing. It's actually where we get our English word for logic. It means reasonable. Again, when you weigh all that God has done for you, the only logical, reasonable response is to lay your life on the altar of sacrifice for him. And then, don't, don't miss this. He says, this is worship. This is the definition of worship. It's what worship is. Worship is laying down your life, everything, all that you are, all that you have, on the altar. You see, worship is so much more than what we do here on Sunday morning. Worship is not limited to what goes on in a building, in a church service, you know, when everybody's singing. And listen, I love this. I love what we do. I think it's important. But it's bigger than that. It's more than that. He actually says that worship is an attitude of your heart. It's laying down everything that you have and all that you are before God. Again, how do you do that? You offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. So it involves the presentation of your body, everything that you are, and number two, the transformation of your mind. The transformation of your mind. Look at verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the key to being able to offer your body is to make sure that your mind is also being renewed. Now, notice how Paul presents this here. He has a negative, and then he has a positive. Now, the negative is, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What's he talking about there? Well, I think he's talking about that invisible, ungodly, spiritual system of this world that is completely, diametrically opposed to God. 1 John 5.19 says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is living under the control of the evil one. It's what Jesus was saying in John 15.19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of it, out of the world. And this is why the world hates you. You ever wonder why there's this constant tension in your life here in this world in which we live? Because we're not a part of the world. This is not our home. And so it's this clash of this clash of, of ownership and conflicting agenda and purpose that Paul's talking about here in Romans 12. And the phrase there, do not conform any longer to the pattern. Conform any longer to the pattern. In the original language, it's actually just one Greek word. And it's where we get our word schematic. And, and it, it refers to, you know, kind of assuming an outward expression that doesn't match the inward reality. Where you're kind of putting on an act, masquerading. So he's saying, hey, don't behave, don't masquerade as if you belong to the world. Don't Wear the mask of the world. In other words, don't live according to the schematic 
of the world, of this age. Don't allow yourselves to become conformed to the purposes and the, and the uh, priorities and the morality of this ever-changing world in which we live. Don't do that. Instead, here's the positive, be transformed. Now, the interesting thing about that word there is it's where we get our word uh, in English, metamorphosis, complete change. And it's also the word that was used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 17, where it says this. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was, what's the word? Transfigured. Same word that Paul uses before them. Listen to this. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. What in the world's going on here? What, what, what's happening? Man, I would, I would have loved to have been one of those three. I would have loved to have seen that. Jesus' outward appearance is being made like what? The inward reality. You know, he's God in human flesh, and for a moment, his human flesh actually begins to be manifested, you know, the God that he is. That blows my mind. Again, I would have loved to witness that. But you know what even blows my mind more? Is the fact that Paul is actually applying that word and that principle here in Romans 12 to your experience in Christ. That you are to be transformed, changed on the outside to match what you already are on the inside. Isn't that awesome? You see... Listen, listen to me. The reason why there's such a clash, the reason why it's wrong for a believer, a Christian, to be like the world in which we live, to be conformed to the purposes and priorities and the morality of this world is because inwardly, that's not who you are. In Christ, you've been made brand new. And so really the Christian life is essentially the process of becoming in your behavior what you already are in your nature. It's that process of becoming more and more like God already sees you in Christ. Now, how do you do that? What does Paul say? He says, be transformed By the renewing of your mind. The word renewing there again means a complete and utter renovation. It reminds me of, uh, you know, the construction project that we just went through. Now it's, I say just went through. It was two years ago, actually, this October that we moved in and opened up our new Coastal Kids facility, the new gathering space. And the part of the old building, it wasn't just, you know, a little redo. We gutted that thing. And completely rebuilt it. A total and complete renovation. That's what he's talking about. So how do you do that in your mind? He says by installing a new system. You know, a new system, a new, a new software that's, that's living and active and sharper. 
than any two-edged sword. It's what David was saying. Your word has I, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what I'm saying is that the key to having a renewed mind is the word of God. A transformed and a renewed mind is a mind that is saturated and controlled by the word of God. It's what Paul wrote in Colossians 3.10. Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Now how do you do that? Drop down to verse 16 where he said, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let it take up residence. Let it live there. And he says richly. And what he means there is a, in immeasurable proportions. Literally, the word of Christ is to dwell in you, overflow in you. You're to load your mind and your thoughts with it. Fill your heart with it. David said in Psalm 1-2, we're to delight in it, meditate on it, day and night. That's why we're constantly here at Coastal, encouraging, challenging you, pushing you to read God's Word. That's why we preach from the Word of God. That's why we send you devotions. That's why we try to read through Scripture. You know, it's the old uh, computer equation. G-I equals G-O. Garbage in equals garbage what? Out. Or to put it positively, Christ in equals Christ out. Whatever you consistently, lovingly download into your computer, your mind eventually will come out in your behavior. Because a transformed mind produces a transformed life. A transformed mind produces a transformed life. So again, it starts with the presentation of your body the transformation of your mind, and then it leads to, number three, the realization of God's will. The realization of God's will, the understanding of God's will. This is so good. Look at the last part of verse two. Then you will be able to what? Test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, the presentation of your body, offering all that you are, you know, on the altar of sacrifice, plus renewing your mind, transforming your mind with the word of God equals the understanding of God's will for your life. Now, everybody wants to know what God's will is for their life, right? I mean, honestly, as a pastor, you know, 33 years here at Coastal, and this is probably true, I think, of all the other pastors on our staff, one of the most commonly asked questions we get from people has to do with, hey, Pastor Chris, What's God's will for my life? What's his plan? What's the next step? Now, how do we know that? How do we determine it? Well, first of all, I think we all know, at least we all should have an understanding of what God's will is for us ultimately, right? We've talked about it today. Ultimately, it's for you and I to become more and more like Jesus until that day. And there will be a that day when he either calls you home, or he what? He comes again. And then the Bible says that we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Your mortal body will put on immortality, and there will be no more sickness, no more disease, 
No more COVID. No more cancer. No more Alzheimer's. No more soreness. No more heartache or pain. No more disappointment. What a day that will be. I mean, we know that. We know that that's the ultimate will of God for our life. To become more and more like Jesus. But what's his will in the meantime? And how do you discover it? How do you figure it out? He spells it out right here. You need to hear this today. I want to close with this. Because this is the supreme act of real worship. God's will, it starts here, is that you and I, you would offer your life, everything that you are, everything that you have, your body, your whole life, as a living sacrifice. That you would no longer be conformed like the schematic, the pattern of this world that we live in. Because it's not our home. We've been called out. We're to be different. We're no longer that the world. And then you would be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind with the word of God. And Paul says if you do that, listen to this, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's possible that you're not walking in God's will today because you've crawled off the altar. You're holding something back. You're not a living sacrifice. It's possible you're not walking in the will of God today because you're chasing after the things of this world and you're going to forfeit your very soul. It's possible you're not walking out the will of God in your life because Your life and your mind is not being saturated with the Word of God. So here's how I want to close today. Just a little bit different. I want everybody right now just to close your eyes and to bow your heads. Close your eyes, bow your heads. And I want to read this passage one more time in its entirety. And what I'm asking you today is to make this your prayer. Simply tell God right here, right now, that you want to do this. That you want to do what these verses say. And maybe, again, you've crawled off that altar. You're, you're more like the world than you, than you want to admit. You, your mind is not being saturated with the word of God. Make a commitment today to do what these verses say. Listen to this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in light of everything that he's done for you, offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and only then, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. 
his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.